0: Father, I'm thankful for your word, as, as we always are, that when we stand up here, we don't have to um, be overly creative to find something to talk about. We can open your word because we know it's the, your self-revelation of who you are. You tell us who you are. You communicate who you are through your word. And we're thankful for your word that you've given it to us in this form where we can... Um, every week be able to stand up here and and dig in and see how you want to reveal yourself to us today. So I I pray that you would do that through your spirit. I pray that you would change our minds, you would change our hearts, you would change the way we live um, when we leave this place as a result of looking at who you are in your word. Above everything else, I pray that your son Jesus would be magnified and lifted up high this morning. It's in his son's name we pray. Amen. We're continuing on in the book of John, and today, as you saw from the text that we read or that um, Braden read, we're looking at a couple of events that John records, and these events um, have to do with with God's provision through Jesus. We know Jesus has uh, communicated that he is, in fact, God. And this is God providing for um, people um, as he is ministering to people um, in that particular area. And when I was um, uh, um, studying this week and thinking through this, I, I started trying to um, put myself in a position when I receive provision from God. Right? Like when God provides for me, um, I tried to imagine, like, what's happening inside of me when God provides? How do I receive that? And do I willingly receive that when God provides for me? And those different kinds of questions, really paying attention to that more this week as I was digging in to this particular passage. Maybe this morning some of you um, are uh, wanting God's provision for your energy. Rainy morning, Sunday morning, it's hard to get out of bed maybe. Maybe you're dragging a little bit this morning. Maybe you stayed up too late last night watching the weather, worrying about the weather so you didn't get as much sleep. So you just need some energy. So that is you wanting something, right? And hopefully you're seeking that from God. Well, this week um, was, was a, uh, a kind of an, an odd week for, for me. I had three extended family members all be admitted to the hospital this week. Two of them, with um, they, they found out this week that they had late stages of cancer, two of my extended family members. One family member had to go in, um, kind of for an emergency heart procedure this week. And as I was thinking about them and thinking about their immediate families and how I could pray for them and think about them, um, I began, as I'm studying this, seeking God's provision. Right? One, provisions for healing. I want God to reveal himself to them in the midst of their pain and their family 's pain i 'm also wanting um, provision for myself for my anxiety for the unknown future for them, and how much longer they 'll be here on earth with us now and um, provision for my sadness, provision for my worry so and it, and it just dawned on me that so much of our day in and day out lives is looking for our needs being met, and we have this choice when we, we feel that need, when we're aware of that need, are we going to get those things met by God? Are we going to try to take those things into our, our own hands? Because nobody wants to feel anxious. Nobody wants to feel sad. Nobody wants to feel needy. So we are going to usually find a way to at least temporarily at least have that need be met. And in this particular passage, we're going to see Jesus Really wanting, John records us and wanting us to see that we need to seek our provision in Jesus. And when he offers that, we need to receive it. We need to receive the provision that Jesus has for us. John here puts this particular um, event. Remember, John wrote this book, um, and he says it at the end of the book. We looked, we've looked at that several times. That He says, I wrote the things down. I recorded the things in this gospel so that you may have life and you may believe. So that's John's entire purpose for this gospel is so that people would believe. And that through that belief, people would have life. So it's no accident John has put these two events right after chapter 5. And If we remember what happened in chapter 5, it's been a few weeks. But Jesus um, healed a man on the Sabbath, and that opened up this whole conversation with the religious leaders where Jesus was claiming to be uh, the Son of God, which re- through that means that he is actually God himself. And this is what end up, ends up getting him killed eventually, murdered eventually, by the religious leaders and the Roman authorities, is that his claim that he is in fact equal to God. It didn't go over well with the religious leaders. And he's, he's, he's given this kind of um, defense and almost a little sermon at the end of chapter 5, and that leads us into chapter 6. And then John strategically places these two events right after that for a reason. And then we're going to see the reason as we dig into this today. The main point of today is that Jesus provides for our needs by his power. Very simple, very straightforward. Jesus provides uh, for our needs through his power. So first, we're going to look at the fact that Jesus provides. Next, we're going to look at the fact that he has power. He has legitimate power to help others. And third, we're going to look at that he actually wants to use other people to display his power to the world. So let's first look at Jesus providing in verse 1. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. It's helpful for me when I see geographical markers in the scripture. I'm a visual person. I like maps, so I uh, want to just throw a map up here. At the, the top of this graphic, you'll see the Sea of Galilee, that body of water. And uh, Jerusalem's down here to the, kind of the, the bottom left of the graphic, so we're up north in Palestine, and on the northeast side of the coast of the Sea of Galilee, you'll see this, the city of Bethsaida. Bethsaida is where um, the event that we're going to look at first today takes place, right? On the northeast um, coast of the Sea of Galilee. And then when they get in their boat, they're going to come back kind of to the middle of the sea and then go up to Capernaum, which is on the northwest coast of the Sea of Galilee. So I just wanted you to give you a visual of where this is happening, really in relationship to Jerusalem as well. So we're in the north part of Palestine. In verse 2, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Now this crowd that was following Jesus, John adds this detail, it was large. This is a large crowd. And these weren't necessarily followers of Jesus, people who were calling Jesus Lord, that I want to follow you and deny myself and all these things. These were people that were just intrigued, right? They had heard the miracles. They, maybe they had seen the miracles. They, the, there was a buzz uh, surrounding Jesus, this man who was doing these crazy things and really, really getting the uh, religious authorities angry at him. And so they wanted to check him out. They were curious, right? They, they had no intention really in following him at this point, but they were intrigued, and Jesus was okay with that. He was okay with this, obviously, this crowd hanging around and letting them hear and observe some of the things he was doing with his disciples. Now, at the end of this chapter, we're going to see in a couple of weeks that he addresses this kind of half-in, half-out kind of follower, um, this idea of following Jesus. He'll get to that, but in this event today, he's okay with the crowd hanging around. Or modern-day equivalents of this maybe. People who would call themselves Christians, but maybe they don't love Jesus and they don't um, pursue him. And maybe there's other important things in their lives that rival their relationship with Jesus. So there's, there could be people, maybe some of you here today are just here checking out Jesus, checking out the church. You've heard some good things, and we are so glad that you're here with us um, this morning. Verse 3, Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples, Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. So he goes up on this mountain, right, off the coast there um, in Bethsaida, that area, Bethsaida. And it says he's with his disciples. So imagine him walking up the mountain. His disciples are following him. They get to the top, kind of where they're going to stay. And he begins to train and talk about his disciples, or that's what he's about to do. Um, and then John here mentions that it's the Passover. It's, it's the time of the year where they're observing the Jews the Passover. The Passover was the holiday for the Jews. They took so much of their, their corporate identity in this particular um, um, event, this particular holiday. This would be similar to our 4th of July. Like our patriotism is at an all-time high on the 4th of July. It would have been the same with the Jewish people. You also have other Old Testament kind of illusions and echoes come up in this particular story. You have um, bread in this story, right? And and this would have been primarily a Jewish audience listening to Jesus. They would have remembered the bread in in the wilderness, God providing manna for them in the wilderness. You also have, uh, in, in the event we're about to look up, water involved on the sea, and they would remember when they, 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 the, the disciples were on the boat. Here in a minute, we're going to look at They would remember the, the God having power over the sea and parting the Red Sea for their people to go through as they were leaving and fleeing Egypt. Okay, So when we're hearing this story about bread and fish and provision and the water, all of these things, we need to remember that the Jewish people would have been making all these connections to very important popular um, events in the Old Testament that he's about to probably talk to his disciples, and then you have verse 5. He says, lifting up his eyes, and then and seeing that a large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, who was one of his disciples, he says, where are we to buy bread so these, these people may eat? So he, he sees okay, there, there's a crowd coming here. We need, to, we need to address this. And it says in verse 6, it says, he said this to test him. So he's in the process of training his disciples, he's testing them, he's challenging them, he's, he's trying to get an idea of how they respond to different situations. Because it says in verse 6, for he himself, Jesus, knew what he would do. He already knew what he was going to do here, but he was bringing Philip into this to have this conversation with him. Then Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. Now a denarii, if you don't know what that is, it's a one denarii was about a day's wage. So he's saying 200 days wages or nine or 10 months-ish of work days would not provide enough bread, even a little bread, for all of these people to eat, all of them to eat. And so Philip is, is, is looking at just the, the odds here, right? He's looking at the, the data, the reality of the situation, kind of the horizontal issue here involved. And this is the first of two barriers to us really believing that God can provide. And we're all guilty of this on some occasion. The first barrier that, that Philip couldn't get over here is that we don't believe God can provide when things look hopeless through our eyes, when things look like they just can't work out. According to law and science and all the things, we just can't see God coming through here. We tend to see things through a thin, earthly lens. We forget about the spiritual realm. We forget about the realm that God exists in, and he comes down and performs miracles, which is why they're called miracles. They break, they break into the natural world, and seem, we don't seem to understand how they work. It's why they are called miracles. But we tend to use this first barrier to belief as an excuse. Well, God can't provide. It's just too, this, this is too massive. This need is too great. We are guilty of this as well. Well, We don't believe, one, that God can provide oftentimes. And two, we don't believe that he wants to provide. So not only does he have the power to provide, but he wants to use that power to provide for his people. And Philip is right there. Again, Philip has seen so much, right? He's seen, he's then in front row seat. He's seen the sick healed. Um, he's seen water turned into wine. He's seen already many miracles, and yet he is so quick to go back to, well, there's just not enough, there's just not enough food here. We just can't do all this, Jesus. What are we going to do? There's too, much, too many people, not enough food to go around. Then verse 8, one of his disciples, another disciple here, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. Now, a barley barley loaf. Barley was considered um, the grain of the poor. And often, when you were poor, you didn't have enough money. You would go for barley. It was the cheapest. It was the 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 the. Um, it didn't taste well, but it provides some sustenance for people. So these are barley loaves and. When you hear loaf, don't think of loaf of bread like we buy in a store. Think of, uh, most commentators think that it was probably about the size of like a Twinkie. So like these small little bread loaves, right? This was how much? Five of those and then two fish. And these aren't big bass or catfish. These are sardines probably. It was just a little boy's lunch, right? That's all that he had. So Andrew is, is getting it, right? First part of that sentence, right? If we stop there. Wait, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and, and two fish. So you think, okay, Andrew's getting in here, right? God can do something with this. And then we lose him. The next path, he goes, but what are they for so many? It's like, oh, you were so close, Andrew. You are so close to believing and trusting that God could actually do this. But then he falls back to where um, Philip was in his lack of belief. Verse 10 says, Jesus said, have the people sit down. And John adds this little detail here, which I love. Now, there was much grass in the place. Seems like a weird like thing there that John adds. Um, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. It's the first time we get a number here from John. Now, there were at least 5,000 people there. If it's just the, the men term there for just everybody, um, but most commentators think they were probably saying there are 5,000 men here, which probably means another 5,000 if you count the women, and then another five or 10,000 if you count, count the children. So at the least there were 5,000, at most maybe up to 20,000. This is a large crowd. It's a large crowd. I mean, this is like the size of, of Lloyd Noble. I think Lloyd Noble Center on OU's campus holds eighteen to 19,000. So imagine that whole arena being full. That's the crowd size that they're working with here, a large crowd. And I love um, some, some details here, right? The people never said that they were hungry, right? That this crowd didn't come to Jesus wanting food. They were just intrigued by Jesus. They were intrigued by his power. They were intrigued by this man who was doing these miracles. It's Jesus is the one who recognizes, hey, these people have probably been out here a long time. They may be skipping a meal. Let's get them something to eat. Like how thoughtful of Jesus, How kind of Jesus to think on something so simple as making sure these people that had come to kind of observe what's going on, that they had enough to eat. It's such a beautiful picture of of Jesus' provision and the fact that he cares about even the smallest things. A lot of commentators think when he says, have the people sit down, Jesus was modeling what a Jewish kind of father would do for his family. Before they would sit down at a table at a more formal meal, the father would instruct his family, go ahead and sit down. Some commentators think even that language is, is Jesus kind of putting on this fatherly posture for the people there. And then the grass comment. This is, this is um, imagine in this environment, you had, it's rocky, you're in a mountain, it's dusty, it's dirty in this part of the world, right? It's pretty arid. And John makes the point, but, but there was grass in this area. And it makes me think back to Psalm 23, right? He, this, this shepherd leading the sheep to grass, leading the sheep to a place where they can get some food, where they can rest, where they can be comfortable. It's, it's just so interesting that Jesus wants to help people, even in the smallest little things like the grass and making sure they have enough to eat. And what Jesus wants his disciples for sure to see is that he is worth trusting for provision, he does, yes, he has the power to provide, but he wants to provide. He enjoys being a fatherly provider for his people. And he, he wants, guys like Philip and Andrew, and the rest of the disciples. you have to get this, right? If, you, if, if they, they were behind the scenes there, you have to understand that I want to provide, and I'm a good father. He wants to build trust in them. Then verse 11, says, Jesus took the loaves, and we had given thanks. He distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told the disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. All right. So he's basically taken equivalent of a lunchable, and he's fed up to twenty thousand people, right? And then there's leftovers. Right? Not only did they, have, they eat their fill of what they needed, but there was an abundance. There was left over, and I don't think that's any... Jesus knew exactly how much he needed to provide for the people, right? but he went over and beyond what he provided, probably even as a lesson to the people there, but also his disciples. I don't only really provide, but I provide in abundance. I don't only just meet your basic needs. I will go over the top of that and provide for those needs. Plus, he's just kind of showing off his power probably, right? He's like, oh, I I can make even more than 20,000. I'll make even enough to have leftovers where you have to collect these things. He's building his disciples' trust. And notice he's not asking for some heroic act from his disciples. He's not asking them to have this giant mountain of faith. He's the one that's going to do the miracle. He's the one that's going to be the hero here in this story. He just wants the disciples to have a little faith, like just a mustard seed, right? Like just have a mustard seed of faith, just a tiny little bit of faith and believe that I can provide. He cares about people's physical well-being, like having bread and some fish, as well as the spiritual. He wants them to believe. He wants them to trust in him. In verse 14, the people saw the sign. So now the people are like, okay, this is crazy. Because they know what just happened. He said he saw the sign. And it's a sign. It's, it's, John uses the word sign there because it's pointing to something. It's not just a miracle for the sake of a miracle. It's a miracle that has a direction. It's, it's teaching something. That's why he calls it a sign. They said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. And we don't have time to go back into the Old Testament. I wish we did. But in Deuteronomy 18, Moses is talking to the people. And Moses says, there there will be a prophet greater than I. And you need to listen to him. You need to pay attention to him. Again, Jewish audience, they would have remembered that. Moses was a big deal. They would have remembered that. And so, of course, they're starting to connect the dots here. So this is good, right? Say this guy's important. This guy's more than just some magician who's doing some crazy miracles, right? No, this guy is a prophet. So Um, They're they're starting to understand who he is. And then we come to verse 15. And this is the second way we respond or humans respond poorly to God's provision. Remember, first, we just don't believe it can happen. Second of all, we take his provision and twist it. Look at verse 15. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So again, perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew to a mountain by himself. Remember, this is the Passover; it's Fourth of July. For the jews they're feeling extra patriotic they're sick of the oppression by the roman authorities and the roman government they're not getting to be who they really are they don't have their own land they're getting they're getting they're getting oppressed and now they're seeing jesus this guy who's doing miracles he's a he's a jew he's doing he's powerful he's providing for people he's loving people well and they start to get ideas they begin to think hey this guy can give us exactly what we want this guy can give us our desires. He can give us our political desires. He can give us our, 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 our nationality desires, right? They begin to dream about what Jesus could do if he was the king right now. And then he says in verse 15, Jesus knew what was going on. Jesus knew that they were about to come and take him by force and make him king. Like these people were falling all over themselves for Jesus. They were big fans of him. This is not any much different than our world today, right? If Jesus was around in our world, we would be really quick to take Jesus and hurry up and make him king so he would provide our needs for us. He would provide our goals for us. He would meet those goals for us. If he would give me power, if he would give my group of people power, if he would affirm what I believe is right and wrong, he would give me everything I need. See, these people are wanting to make Jesus king, not because they love Jesus, but they see that how Jesus being king will meet their own needs. Their purpose for their life will get met by Jesus being in power, by Jesus being king. And then in verse 15, the second part of that, I love this. He says he withdrew. He withdrew to the mountain by himself. Probably went further up the mountain. He got away. And it's, if any of us, mere mortals, not Jesus, were to be faced with this, how quick would we have just reveled in the attention? Like, man, look at the power I have. I have these people eating out of my hand. I have so much influence over them. I can, I can leverage this to accomplish some stuff in my life. We would have loved the attention. We'd have loved the acclaim. We would have been so tempted by this. And Jesus knew he would have been as well. This has kind of the echoes of Matthew 4 when Jesus was, was withstanding the temptations that the devil was throwing at him. They were he was trying to give him power, trying to give him riches, trying to give him fame. And Jesus was saying, no, no, no. But yet there was a temptation there. And Jesus knew it. And I love it. He just went and, went and got by himself. So I'm not going to stick around here to have these people fall all over me and try to make me something that I'm not going to be. So I'm going to go off by myself. It doesn't say it in this passage, but often when Jesus goes off by himself in the Gospels, the Gospel writers say, in order to pray to God, in order to talk to his Father, in order to commune with the Father, gain strength, gain power from the Father. Remember who he is. Remember what his purpose is. It's a good lesson for us when we start to get acclaim, when we start to get noticed, when we start to get followers, when we start to get likes, remember why are those people liking you? We're all human, right? We all want to put people in pedestals quicker than they deserve to meet our own ends. In his love and care, Jesus provides. He wants us to trust him, and that is for our good. Now, the next thing Jesus provides out of his power, let's look at the, the scene in the boat. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, as Jesus isn't with him right here, and started across the sea to Capernaum. So they're going across to the northwest coast of Sea of Galilee. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Now, in this day and age, even fishermen were scared of the sea. The sea was a mysterious place. It was a chaotic place. They didn't have all the knowledge and the science to understand what the the sea is still crazy, I think, now, but we can go underwater. We can take cameras down there. We kind of know what's underwater, those kinds of things. This day and age, they didn't. They didn't know any of those things. So the sea was a mysterious place and it was a dangerous place. The sea was not something you mess with, even for fishermen. So they're in the dark on the sea, and then they see what appears like a ghost coming at them, walking on the water. Now, if you think you're you to be more courageous than the disciples in this moment, you're crazy. Imagine this thing. You're out on a lake, a dark lake right now. You're out on the middle of the boat. Things are quiet, and you see a ghost walking on the water towards you, a phantom. Like, you'd be scared. I'd be scared, right? We'd jump, and we'd be paddling, and getting that boat away, right? This is the way the disciples were frightened, it says, They were frightened, but Jesus came up to the boat, and maybe he just stood near the boat and didn't get in the boat yet. He got up to the boat, and the disciples didn't say anything. They didn't have a strategy or technique. They didn't have anything to say to him. But so Jesus says, "It is I. Don't be afraid. It is I. Don't be afraid." Literally, it is. It's the 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 original language says, "I am." Doesn't translate well. It's why it's not translated the way. But it says, "I am. Don't be afraid." Once again. The, the Jewish folk, especially the disciples, would have understood this. Where does God use the word I am? All throughout the Old Testament to reveal who he is. Like this is Yahweh. This is, this is, this is the, like the, the creator God, the Alpha and the Omega, the ultimate reality, the ultimate truth. That name I am is, is the strongest, most powerful name for God when he refers to himself in that way. So it's so kind of Jesus. Jesus provides in their anxiety, in their fear, and their disorientation. He comes up to them and he says, I am. Don't be afraid. And what else? Like the disciples probably just relaxed when he said that. This is God. This is Jesus who, who they had just, see- just heard sermons about him being God. And I'm sure this made them relax. Usually when we're afraid, when we're fearful, when we're disoriented, we usually reach to things because we don't want that. We don't, we don't want to feel afraid, so we medicate, right? We hide. We, 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 we want a distraction. We often don't, don't just just uh, ask ourselves, well, why are we afraid here? What are we seeking here, right? Fear makes us reach for things that don't truly provide. Same with anxiety. Same, thing, same, same for the unknown. Same for being disoriented, right? And the disciples were disoriented here, right? They saw a ghost. They were afraid. And I think this, maybe we're not on a boat and we're not uh, afraid of a ghost walking towards us, but we could be looking for provision in a girlfriend or boyfriend or spouse or a political figure or a social media influencer or maybe some new way of believing or a new cause to grab onto or a new group to join to belong in or a new a promotion at work. We can medicate our anxiety and our fear and all of those things in many different ways. But Jesus wants his disciples to trust in him. He wants, to, they want, he wants them to rest and know that he is God. And he is the one that we should seek provision in. We should seek rest in even when we're fearful. And I love that Jesus didn't get on the boat and the first thing he said, you babies. You bunch of babies, you just saw that I, 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 I made food out of nothing for 20,000 people. I've healed people. i turn turned water into wine. What do you think? Why are you scared? I've taught you better than this. No, he doesn't do that. He empathizes with them. I know as a father, my temptation, those of you with, with kids probably have this temptation a lot, right? When your kids start crying, right? When, when my six-year-old cries for that fourth cookie, I'm like, are we really doing this, buddy? Are we really crying after I've given you three cookies out of my generosity right now? That's what I want to say, right? I want to say, do you know that there's starving children in other countries? Yeah, people my age, your parents use that all the time on, on me. I remember that. I go, oh, buddy, you want to see, you want to see a, what a famine looks like? I'll show you what a famine... No, no, I don't, I don't do that. But I want to do that, right? Like when, when you're crying for... And, and again, I... What I fail to see in those moments where I'm really, I want to be angry at my six-year-old son, I'm not seeing it through six-year-old eyes, right? I'm not empathizing with him and understanding. Not having that fourth cookie tastes good. Not having that fourth cookie is really disappointing to a six-year-old. And I'm not empathizing with him. And Jesus is, has so much empathy for his disciples. He knows the world's chaotic. He knows the world's dangerous. He knows the sea's scary, He knows in a a short amount of time, he's gonna be in a garden, sweating drops of blood, asking his father to, is there any other way? Jesus knows the world is a scary, dangerous place. And I'll tell you, if Jesus wasn't alive right now, today, this world would be much, much scarier. It would be scarier without hope. We would have zero genuine hope To face the scary, chaotic world we're in without Jesus being alive. We would have no hope to face what the world lays before us. But here Jesus is saying, I am. I'm with you. I wanna be with you. I'm your father. I'm your provider. I'm your shepherd. Trust me. And when we're given power, our tendency is to use that power to get what we want to maybe use other people, to, to demand things from other people. We use a power, our power as a tool against people to accomplish what we want. That's, what, that's why they wanted to make him king, right? They wanted to use him as a tool to get what they want. But we see Jesus over and over and over being the most powerful human being that's ever lived, using his power to bless people or laying down his power to serve the greater purposes of his father, God, right? Jesus lays down his power. Jesus uses his power for the good. This is a model, an example for us. One pastor says this. He says, On the night of Jesus the rest, talking about Peter now, who was there this whole time probably, on the night of Jesus the rest, Peter was willing to kill for Christ, but not die for him. The lesson there there's a type of counterfeit faithfulness that's willing to kill for Christ, but not willing to die for him. That's strong. Keller, Tim Keller, says more about this. He says, Peter was defined by his love for Christ and not Christ's love for him. For sure, pre-resurrection, right? Peter was defined by how much he loved Christ, how much he wanted to give for Christ, but he had forgotten he was not defined by how much Christ really loved him. Jesus is the true benevolent king. He's had the most power of any human being that any human being has ever had and he consistently uses that power to bless and provide for people. This is the gospel, right? He lays down his life. He lays down his power so he can bring rebellious, sinful people like you and I back to himself, people who constantly turn their back on him, people who are imperfect, people who are narcissistic half the time, right? We struggle to not think about ourselves. And yet Jesus, in his kindness, laid down his life, This perfect man who gave up his power to die on a cross for you and I. And he shows that power when he came back on the third day. And that is the good news. Verse 21, it says, Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. And then a little detail from John there. It's kind of a a little second miracle there. It says, And it says they were glad to take him into the boat. So they they, they had calmed down, he's in the boat now, and then boom, they're where they were going. Now, maybe the time had just passed or or whatever, or maybe this is truly a miracle, right? Like the boat like uh, immediately was at Capernaum after they got Jesus into the boat. Could be a lot of lessons there. Could be the fact that when we actually have peace and we set our eyes on Jesus and we're calm, we get To where we're going we're able to focus on where we're going and not get distracted by how dangerous our situation is so jesus provides for our physical and spiritual needs he does this through his power and third he provides physically and spiritually through his people right jesus did not need his disciples to feed the crowd he didn't need them they could have not been there he still would have done the same miracle but he chose to use them he chose them to involve them we can respond like philip We could respond like Andrew, or we could respond like the boy. And I I really wish this is one of those times. I really wish the Bible had more to say. I wish really John could would have gotten there and really under heard what the boy was saying when because somebody had to come and take the boy's little lunch, right? And what was the boy's reaction when they did that? Did they ask for it? How did that go down? But we 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 it's not a big deal. So I assume that the boy willingly gave it up. For the sake to make more. And I think, in one sense, we are to be the boy. Or we're to take what God has given us, how God has blessed us, and use that so God can bless and minister to people through us. So we have a role to play here. We have a role to play. And part of that role we're playing is to die to ourselves. We don't come to Jesus, we don't use Jesus for health, wealth, and prosperity. We come to Jesus to die, and we trust that in dying, Jesus is going to provide true joy, true freedom, true peace, true purpose, true value. All of those things we all desperately want, but that happens through denying ourselves and death. Christian life's not supposed to be easy. Sometimes in Norman, Oklahoma, and the blessings we have, sometimes we forget about that. It's difficult, but it can be full it's not supposed to be convenient. It's supposed to be uncomfortable. But God comforts us in our discomfort. We're not supposed to seek comfort. We're supposed to seek the comforter in our discomfort. We need the Lord more than we need likes on social media. We need a Savior more than we need approval. When I was, um, when I was younger, college age, um, I had... Um, I, 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 I wanted to seek approval. I, and, I, and I still struggle with that today. But um, I was all about trying to get affirmation through, through using God to get what I wanted, to, to fulfill my goals. Maybe that's some of you here in this room. It took me a while to understand this idea of dying to myself. That death comes, uh, that, that through life comes through dying to myself. Perseverance comes our strength, our strength comes through perseverance. Growth comes through when times are difficult. There's two application points that I'll close. Number one, we need to remember that Jesus is the provider. We need to come to him open-handed. We need to come to him open-handed. We don't need to be distracted by how, how is this going to get done or how is this going to be provided for or take that into our own hands. We need to come to him open-handed and realize we need help. We need help. And trust that he's going to provide. So maybe you need to ask yourself the question today, what am I looking to for provision? Like, what do I need? Maybe that's a better question. What do I need right now? We all need something. And are you seeking that need in Jesus? Or are you seeking that in somewhere else? And do you believe that he can meet that need? And then when he provides, don't let that terminate on yourself. When he provides the need, think, well, how can I bless someone else? how can I not let this blessing terminate on me, this provision terminate on me, but being aware of the other needs around you, both physical and spiritual. Maybe you need to have a conversation with someone. Maybe you need to encourage someone. Maybe you need to provide something physical for someone who's in need. Maybe you just need to have your eyes more opened and take your focus off yourself and more on other people and allow Jesus to use you like he used the boys' lunch. We've been provided for physically and spiritually so that we can provide those things for others. Let's pray. Father, I'm thankful for your word once again. These stories that we've heard, many of us heard many times about your provision. I pray that we would wrestle with how are we receiving that provision? How are we asking for provision? When we feel like we have a need, we, need, we have a need that needs to be met, which is all of us, we all have needs. Are we quick to run to something else to provide that need, or we run to you first and trust that you have the power to provide and that you love providing for your people? Help us believe. Help us believe tomorrow when we want to take things into our own hands. Help us later this week when we've forgotten maybe about this text. I pray that your spirit would bring these things to mind and that that as a body, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we can point back to you and help each other remember your grace and mercy in our day in and day out lives. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.